October 22 is a very significant day in the history of our beginnings. This is the intermission episode of the Avenus History Podcast. Last time, we spent four years telling the Avenus story from 1844 to 1915. This time, we're going to take a break. We're going to answer a few of the questions that you sent in. We're going to talk about the future of this podcast. We are going to talk about Avenus history a little bit as we set up the second season of this podcast. Now, what do I mean by the second season of this podcast? Okay, so we are splitting this podcast up into two seasons. Season one is what we've just covered. It's Adventist history up to Ellen White's death. Season two is whatever comes after that. So there are a lot of ways that you could divide up Adventist history, but this is a podcast, not an outline in a college class, and so we're just going to make this really simple. Placing Ellen White's death at the center of this story is a way of saying that Adventism changes or it pivots on her death. It seems to me that that's a good place to kind of build the story around. Okay, so why are we doing this intermission episode? I know, waiting a month for each episode is a long time, and you waited a month only for us to not continue the story in this episode. That's a fair concern. But please, just hang in there. I've been doing this nonstop, month after month, for over four years. I wasn't planning on going for another four years, so I just needed a little bit of time to refocus and reorganize to do the 20th century. As I said before, researching the 20th century is a lot more work than what we've done so far. The next few episodes will be well worth the intermission. Next month, we will jump back into World War I and talk about how Adventists handled the war in Europe. Then we'll deal with the 1919 Bible Conference, the rise of fundamentalism in Adventism, the fall of A.G. Daniels, and more. We're going to get back to doing interviews with Adventist scholars. We will have more color-lined episodes. I've been warning you guys about this for several episodes already, but... What you're about to see in Season 2 is the shaping of modern Adventism, or at least more shaping of modern Adventism, not in the structure of the church. That's what we've seen so far, how the, how the church structure that we have today came into being, really, in the early 20th century. But what we're going to deal with in the next few episodes is the shaping of modern Adventist debates, like those over evolution, or how we should relate to other denominations, or female pastors, or conspiracy theories, or music. These all begin to really emerge and take shape in the years just after Ellen White's death. Now that means we're going to get into some controversial subjects, which I do not enjoy, at least not in this podcast. However, I do think if we have a good sense of the history that underlies our conversations about these issues it might help us to have more fruitful conversations when we talk about it. So, stay tuned. Whatever we do, we're going to have fun. Now, let's get to these questions that you guys sent in. The first question comes from Marcos. He writes, In your last episode, you shared a story of how Ellen White recommended something to the GC president. He thought it was a bad idea, and she changed her mind about her recommendation. How does this picture of an Ellen White changing her mind impact the rigid view many Adventists have of her as an inflexible prophet 
whose every word must be adhered to without any room to disagree. Okay. Marcos is talking about the time Ellen White pushed the church to eat healthier, beginning with Arthur G. Daniels, our general conference president at the time. Ellen suggested a pledge be passed around and an Adventist sign it, committing themselves to giving up meat, coffee, and other unhealthy foods. Daniels opposed the pledge, saying that some Adventist nuts would use the pledge as a club to beat people over the head. Intimidation and shame might be used to compel people to sign it, or else they're not true Seventh-day Adventists. So when Daniels told Ellen White all of this, she saw his point and dropped any talk of a pledge, though she still spoke very forcefully about the need to be a healthy people. So Marcos is asking, how might this idea of Ellen White changing her mind affect those who kind of view her as this infallible prophet? Well, Marcos, it's important to note what Ellen White changed her mind about. Her main point, that Adventists were regressing on the health message and needed to take it more seriously, never changed. Her stance on coffee and tea and meat never changed. And by the way, once we get a few more people to support us on our Patreon page, I'll release a special episode talking about Ellen White and food and all of this. Anyways, where she was flexible was on the means toward achieving that end. She saw that a pledge might do more harm than good. She didn't want Adventists to ignore the health message, but neither did she want to empower health nuts to rule Adventism with an iron tofu scepter. That's why she tried to strike a balance when she said that the eating of meat should not be a test of fellowship. That is, nobody should be kicked out or disciplined because they eat meat. But she very much wanted people to eat healthier. Anyways, to sum all this up, Ellen White was pretty consistent on the principle. We need to be healthier. But she was sensible and flexible in how to achieve those principles and how to live those principles out. So thank you for your question, Marcos. The second question is from Peter. How did the SDA Reform Church begin? Ha, I'm going to take the easy way out on this one and say, listen to the next episode. For those of you who don't know, the Seventh-day Adventist Reform Movement is a church or community or whatever you want to call them that broke off from the main body of Seventh-day Adventists in World War I. Today they have about 40,000 members and are far more conservative than Adventists are in general. I have a good friend who grew up in the Reformed Church. He also is the great-great-great-grandson, I think, of General Conference President O.A. Olson. I'm not sure if there's enough greats in there or whatever, but you get the idea. So maybe I should interview him about it. Anyways, yeah, sorry for the short answer. Sorry for kicking the can down the road, but at least the can didn't go very far down the road. Stay tuned, my man. We'll talk about it next time. Thanks. Third question is from Mike. Did the Adventists of Ellen White's time sincerely think they were the last generation? Any idea if she had anything to say about the commencement of World War I? Well, Mike, uh, yes. Adventists did believe they were the last generation. There were four major crises, which activated their spider senses that Jesus' return was imminent. First, you have the Millerite movement, of course. Jesus was supposed to come in 1844. 
Next, the Civil War, there was some interpretation of this war as perhaps the beginning of the end as well. G.N. Andrews had seen America as a beast in Revelation, precisely because of slavery. Um, So, in his view, America plays a role in the end times, and this quickly became an official Adventist view. And so the Civil War was seen as arguably America's greatest crisis up until that time. So it very well may have uh, apocalyptic significance. So there was that feeling as well about the Civil War. Uh, Third, you had 1888 and the Sunday Laws. Ellen White even made the remark that Jesus could have come back around this time. It seems like America would pass a national Sunday law and begin persecuting Adventists. I mean, they were persecuting Adventists with with local laws, and it seemed inevitable at the moment that there would be a national law and exponentially increase that persecution, leading us into the end times. Let's see. Fourth, finally, you have the so-called Eastern question of World War I. We talked about that a few episodes ago. Turkey was also seen as an end-time player, and they thought this war to end all wars would allow Turkey to play her role in prophecy uh, in invading Jerusalem and in establishing her dominance there, um, which, of course, didn't happen. But all of these crises, I guess, increased the sense of urgency that Jesus was, in fact, coming soon. His return was imminent. Now, it should be said that with the exception of 1844, there was no predicting Jesus' return. There was no, he's going to come on this date at this time. Okay, These crises were interpreted as potential or actual signs of the end. And we can also use the word generation, as in they believe they're the final generation. We can use that word loosely here, because Jesus can come pretty much whenever he pleases. There's a sense that every generation after 1844 is the final generation. The goal, after all, is to always be ready and always be looking for signs to be fulfilled. But, yes, through most of her life, Ellen White expected to see Jesus within her lifetime. She would probably tell us that we should expect to see Jesus in our lifetime as well. As for whether Ellen White had anything to say about World War I, the commencement of World War I, we covered that in episode 50, in our last episode, She had remarkably very little to say about the war, as she wasn't in the greatest of health. However, if you're talking, if you're trying to get at Adventists and military service, I would say that the principles she laid down during the Civil War uh, would still apply. Now, she did have a vision in the 1890s uh, where she saw thousands of ships hurled to the depth of the sea and that human lives will be sacrificed by millions, by the millions. Okay, so those are things that she did see, and traditionally we've understood her to be talking about World War I in that vision, um, because human lives being sacrificed by the millions is not something that we had really seen on the historical stage up until this point. Uh, so, anyways, I guess maybe the short answer to your question is a no. She didn't really have anything to say about the commencement of World War I, and I would put a little asterisk next to that, uh, especially if you interpret that 1890 prophecy to be referring to World War I. You could say that maybe she did see it, if that's how you want to apply that prophecy. Uh, but, but she didn't have special wisdom about that war, uh, if that's what you're looking for. So, anyways, thanks for your question.
Final question is from Dave, who's asking about what Ellen White thought about Christmas. Ah, yes. Our favorite time of the year. Presents, good food, family, and some Adventists in your local church feeling the need to remind everyone again that Jesus wasn't born on December 25th and that Christmas trees are pagan. We get it. We remember when you said it last year. Anyways, Ellen White was one of those people who also reminded everybody that Jesus wasn't born on December 25th. We don't know when Jesus was born exactly. In fact, Ellen White thought it was intentional that God wouldn't tell us when Jesus was born because, in her view, God didn't want a day to get the attention that Jesus the person deserved all year round. With that said, Ellen White believed that Christmas could be celebrated as a spiritual holiday. However, she believed Adventists shouldn't be spending money they didn't have on presents. Likewise, she was worried that we might be spoiled by the social pressure to get, 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 and just acquire more stuff. There's a real danger of Christians paying lip service to God, but using the religious significance of the holiday as a pretext for selfishness. I mean, at least in America, some of the most religious holidays are also the most self-indulgent, and that was a concern for her. Now, she had some practical advice. I'll just kind of summarize some of it for you. Number one, give gifts that matter to each other. We don't need more useless stuff in our lives. Gifts that matter are those that would actually help a person on their journey in life. Now, that doesn't have to be a spiritual gift, but yes, especially a spiritual gift, a book or something like that. Uh, she was not a fan of spending money on gag gifts or superficial gifts. If we're going to give gifts, then give gifts that genuinely help people in ways that matter. That would be her counsel. Number two, Ellen White saw Christmas as a teaching holiday for parents. Don't just get your kids stuff. Use this as an opportunity to teach them valuable life principles. So uh, don't just lead them on in expecting to receive stuff, you know, and getting them, you know how kids are. They get with their friends and what did you get? What did I get? Blah, blah, blah. Um, she, she wants to kind of, she wants parents to kind of rescue their kids from that, that, that mindset and to teach them uh, that it is more blessed to give than to receive. So for instance, she challenges parents to ask their kids, what kind of gift do you want to give to Jesus this Christmas season? Okay, and that might be, I don't know, $5 toward helping somebody in some foreign country. Okay, in that sense, we give a gift to Jesus. Uh, but to kind of keep their attention on, Christmas is about the gift that, that Jesus gave us. It's not about the gifts we give each other. Okay, so she saw Christmas as a, as a teaching moment. Uh, number three, Ellen White urged Adventists to remember the poor during Christmas and New Year's. It shouldn't just be about middle class or upper class people getting more stuff. We should look to bless those who don't have. And she's not talking about pitching your spare change to a homeless man. She's In some cases, she's talking about Christmas being a season where the whole church comes together to bless a certain project or to bless the poor in a local community, which is pretty cool. Uh, number four, last thing, uh, as far as Ellen White's practical Christmas advice goes, is we should control Christmas and not be controlled by Christmas. I, I, that's maybe my clumsy way of 
outputting this, okay? There is an immense amount of social pressure to go with the flow, to buy expensive presents for people you don't like, for your kids who will stop playing with them in two weeks, to bake cookies and decorate and buy cute clothes, to be this perfect Christmas parent, to send out 800 cards to people you don't usually talk to, Okay, and you know how some of those Christmas letters are? They're like a humble brag. It's like, oh, the Lord has been so good to us this year. He hath enabled me to get mine Mercedes. And then we went on vacation to Hawaii. And then like $7 million just appeared in my front yard. You know how some of those Christmas letters are? Where it's like a humble brag about all the great things that happened. I mean, you, I've just in my life, I've just never gotten a Christmas letter saying like, my year stunk. Uh, I've never gotten one of those. You know, I fought with my wife like three months out of the last 12 months. You know, having problems with my kids. I, you don't get Christmas letters like that. I'm not saying you should, but, you know, I think her advice would be to be careful getting sucked into uh, these routines, these rituals, these traditions, which end up being about indulging, which end up being about glorifying myself uh, or my family and taking these absolutely perfect photos and, you know... All of that kind of stuff. Uh, basically, Ellen White wanted Adventists to break out of that mold. The only real way to celebrate Jesus at Christmas is to stop doing all of the stuff that makes Christmas about us. Uh, it was one time she wrote, quote, Yesterday was Christmas. Did you do as the wise men did by offering your gifts to Jesus? Or has the enemy changed the order of things and directed the worship to himself? End quote. And I, I really like how she put that there. Has the enemy changed the order of things in your life? That's what she's asking. Okay? Now, someone asked Ellen White one time about a Christmas tree. They, are, they were worried that it would make them too worldly. Dun, dun, dun. Now, Ellen White responded that you can do it in a worldly way, or you can do it, get this, in an unworldly way. I'm not really sure how best to say that. Anyways, there's no sin in putting up a tree in your church or your home. Where Ellen White was worried was in the motivation for the tree. Are you doing it because maybe your neighborhood is super competitive about Christmas decorations and you want to be like them? You want to you want to beat them or you want to just be right up in there, you know, to going to the same extent they are so you don't look like you're left out. You know, in other words, she's she wants us to be mindful of why we do the things that we do. And I know that's that's no fun. But maybe it's important. The tree should have a purpose, and she recommended that offerings for special projects, for instance, be put on the tree. Now, that's how my church does it, not because of me. This is how my church does it uh, long before I got here. So for during the Advent season, when it comes time for tithes and offerings during worship, our people get uh, the deacons hand out little like a felt stars, I guess, that you can put your offering envelope in. It has a hook on it, and you just walk up front, and you can put it on the tree. So... Uh, this church that I'm at right now has been taking this advice from Ellen White, you know, very literally, and it's it's really cool. It's a nice change of pace. Okay, but, but Ellen White is concerned about our purpose in doing things. She does not care how some pagans celebrated December 25th, 2000 years ago. Okay, she doesn't talk about a Christmas tree as a pagan symbol. She doesn't, she doesn't mess with that stuff. What she cares about is how we celebrate it right now. All right. So there you have it. Thanks for your questions, guys. Keep sending them in on Facebook or to Adventist History Podcast at gmail.com, and we might do another Q&A sometime.
On to announcements before we close out this intermission episode. Okay, so we have a lot going on in the next few months that I am excited to talk to you about. We are going to get a new look in the new year. So starting January 1st, your episodes are going to have new artwork. We want to keep things fresh, and I don't want to be sued by the church for using our logo. Not that they would sue me, but let's just leave that one alone, shall we? On January 1st, we will also begin posting our episode audio on YouTube. People have been asking for this since not everyone is really into podcasting, or maybe they're in a situation where it's easier to plug in some headphones to your computer and listen to YouTube. Um, So we're going to do that for you starting January 1st. It will take us a little bit of time to get all 50 episodes uploaded, but I hope to be done by the end of January. Let's see. In 2019, I hope to release the first Avenus History podcast book. Or bookcast? I don't know. I at least hope to be done writing it. So, yay, more research. What else? Ah, our Patreon patrons. Thank you so much for your support. All of these changes are possible because of you. You've already received your thank you cards from me, and those of you who have joined the Order of Joseph Bates are due to receive the Avenus History Podcast mug and the Avenus History Podcast edition of Ellen White's Steps to Christ. This has never been published before. Now, the text is the same as the original, but it features some notes in the margin from yours truly. I also updated the scripture version that Ellen White uses. Most of them have been changed to the New King James Version. Uh, Some have been left in the King James Version or whatever it is that she used in the original. just helps it read a little bit better. I hope to get that to you guys in February or maybe March at the latest. It's not too late to become a patron if you've been thinking about it. Just go to patreon.com slash Adventist History Podcast and join us. We've got a lot more cool stuff coming in 2019 because of our patrons. Our next episode will be recorded using some much, much better gear. And I'm planning on recording video versions of the Adventist History Podcast and putting them up on YouTube. So that's awesome. Also, I've talked with an artist about drawing us up some fresh new Ellen White drawings and Avenus Pioneer drawings and, and drawings of buildings and things like that because I'm tired of seeing the same photos used over and over and over again. So maybe these drawings will be our book cover or maybe we'll print a few and use them as rewards for our patrons. If you have any other ideas of what you'd like to see us do in 2019, please, by all means, send me a message. Okay, one final announcement. Man, this is starting to feel like church, where you have like 20 minutes of announcements before anything starts. Anyways, this one is a big one. In 2019, I am going to start... Wait for it. Keep waiting. I forgot what I was going to say. No, I'm going to start a new podcast. It'll have a limited run of, of about 12 episodes, and then it's done. It'll also be released monthly, but the good news about that is if you like it, then you're really getting two podcasts from me a month. So what is it about? It is going to be called Adventists Are Weird. I know, I know. Seems like a strange direction to take from Adventist history, but they are, in fact, related. Adventists Are Weird is going to be a short, tight, 
10-minute podcast that is perfect for your short drives around town. We're going to talk about Avenus culture and how we ended up eating things called haystacks, why a number of Avenus believe in conspiracy theories, why the Avenus college I went to didn't serve black pepper or mustard, why many Adventists are vegetarian, and so on. We're going to interview dozens of people who have stories to tell. Seriously, I put this question up on Facebook in a group full of Adventist pastors, and I think in less than a week I have 300 comments on that question. The question was, share with me a story that you've experienced about about some weird Adventist, about something weird you've seen. So, So there's a lot of material, a lot of interviews. We're going to dip into the history and origins of why our denominational culture is the way it is, at least in the West. It'll be fun. You will cringe. You will laugh. You will shake your head. And you will hopefully understand why Adventists are weird, why we are wired the way that we are wired, why our culture is the way that it is. We'll have fun. I hope you realize also that this episode of the Avenus History Podcast is sponsored by none other than the Haystack. The Haystack is a voice for young adults in the Seventh-day Adventist Church that produces articles, music reviews, videos, and more. So to check them out, go to thehaystack.org. The Haystack, life, culture, theology, and penguins. So, yeah, really, go check them out. Uh, thanks for joining me for intermission. Thanks so much for listening to this podcast. I hope to be booking a booth at the General Conference session in Indianapolis soon. That is coming up, guys, in like a year and a half. I would love to meet you guys and hear your stories in person. So if you're going to GC in 2020 in Indianapolis, I hope to see you there. God bless you, and I will see you next year. Hey, it's me again. If this episode didn't quench your desire for more Avenus history content, then go subscribe to Avenus History Extra. It's a private podcast that I do for those who support the Avenus History Project. You can get access to Avenus History Extra on the website, which is avenushistoryproject.org, or by becoming a patron at patreon.com. Now, there's more variety at Avenus History Extra, in case you were wondering. I do some interviews. Sometimes I do bonus episodes. You know, I, we had a good episode here in the Avenus History Podcast, and I want to talk some more about it. Other times, I go behind the scenes at conferences I attend, like the Women in Seventh-day Adventist History Conference. What's more, just as a second announcement for you, Michael Campbell and I are leading a bus tour in October 2024. So you want to go drive around New England a bit, see the, see the sights and have some fun, well, you can sign up for our bus tour newsletter, once again, at AdventistHistoryProject.org. And we're going to keep you up to date there about what you need to know to go and sign up for that and all of that. So just to be very, 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 very clear, we don't have a sign up for the bus tour itself, but it's a sign up for the newsletter so you can stay informed about the bus tour so I don't have to make announcements every single time and interrupt these episodes and all of that. That's where those announcements are going to be. So if you're interested, head on over to the website. You can sign up for the bus tour newsletter over there. Okay, I think that about does it. Thanks again for listening.